big nerdy questions B and Q. This is Josh, and I apologize in advance for what we are about to do. Normally on this show, we bring you works that are fantastic from fantastic people. We bring you opinions that can make you think and make you laugh and perchance make you dream. But tonight on Big Nerdy Questions, we bring you the antithesis of our normally high standards of quality to bring you the answer to this question. What is the gravest cinematic injustice committed against a beloved franchise? A franchise could be cinematic. It might not be. It might be from literature, from gaming, from comics, or any other media. But if there is a film in that franchise that is so egregiously bad that it has ruined the franchise's reputation or otherwise sullied humanity itself... It is eligible for mockery and disdain in this episode. So joining the Waldorf panel from the Muppets for this episode of Derision, we have Ed. I have a bad feeling about this. We have JP. In contrast, I actually love a good train wreck. And we have Matt. That's right. Matt, I'm sure it was difficult to find a sponsor for a topic so reviling, but did you find one? Shockingly, it was not, because you see, for things like this, there's only one sponsor we can ever truly go to, and that's Michael Bay. Today's episode <laughs> is brought to you by Michael Bay. Michael Bay, ruining your childhood, one franchise at a time. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I gotta say it. I'm gonna be the only one that says it. I actually like the Transformers movies, pretty much every one of them. They're popcorn films, guys. Come on. You know, your comment stings like a bumblebee. I, I will at least call the first Transformers film watchable. Yes. I think Michael Bay's bigger sin is with what he's done to how the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles look. Hold on. Michael Bay's only the producer on that one. I just want to point that out. Ironically enough, I've actually listened to a film theory podcast, and I forget which one it is, so I'm sorry I can't credit it, that says that Michael Bay is actually one of the most revered filmmakers in Hollywood because of his innovative use of the jump cut in action scenes. Love him or hate him, man, he keeps a movie going, whether you like it or not. I just, you know, they always look good. It's like food in a commercial. It looks good, but if you really did eat it, you'd have the <laughs> diarrhea for weeks. Moving on, I, I do want to recommend something tonight. I, I want to recommend... The, the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's a 1978 made-for-TV movie starring Harrison Ford. It takes place on, uh, on Chewie's home planet of Kashyyyk. And a terrible human being, JP. <laughs> Wookiee Life Day is our recommendation. No, it's not. That's a recommendation if you want to subject someone to a night of horror, uh, a night of dastardly things. No, we've actually got a real recommendation, and it's not cinematic. We feel like you would need a cleanse after this episode, so we're giving you a book. Uh, Ed, what is that book? Uh, the book I'm, I'm recommending tonight is Alicia Barber, which is book one in the Dark Apostle series by E.C. Ambrose. It's a uh, historical fantasy, and it's set in, I believe, 14th century England. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it is one of the most gritty and dark stories I've ever read, and, and I mean that in a good way because I, I enjoy 
something with a lot of emotional weight to it. It was a fantastic read. I actually listened to the audiobook once and have read the novel twice, and I've read the subsequent uh, books in the series since then. It was just a great, great read. And uh, part of the reason that we're recommending this tonight is three weeks from tonight, we will have the author E.C. Ambrose on the show to do a podcast with us, and that's... uh, I'm very, very excited about this. It's one of those kind of... Oh, man, there's somebody I really, really like their work, and now I'm getting to talk to them, so that's awesome. We're specifically having her on to talk about her works, but also to talk about the significance of genre in genre fiction. Uh, so when we talk about fantasy, science fiction, and all the other subgenres, how important are they really to authors, publishers, and to the audience? So we'll be having an interesting discussion about genre and genre fiction. Uh, we are so looking forward to having her on the show, and thank you, Ed, for that recommendation and for finding such an amazing guest. Uh, it's an honor. I'm glad she's coming. And I do want to make one quick announcement. Uh, I got some feedback today that is really amazing to me. One of my wife's friends says she listened to the show for a first time a few months ago, and she doesn't describe herself as a big nerd. She's actually a history teacher, and she listened to the show because of our President's episode with uh, the Avengers. And she liked that episode, but she she's not really a fan of much other things we talk about, but she listened to other episodes and she's still listening. She said the reason is, even though she doesn't have a lot of interest in the topics, she finds all of us to be just interesting people. She finds us to be funny and relatable, and she really just finds it really awesome to listen to us. So I think that's one of the best compliments that I've gotten, is that even though if someone isn't a fan of a particular franchise, they still like listening to us. So give yourselves a pat on the back, guys. That's really awesome. There were there were no air quotes when she was saying any of this, right? No, it was completely okay. sincere. Good deal. That's awesome. I, I do like to do a lot of sarcasm to keep things light on this show, but in all seriousness, that would be an example of why I do this. Exactly. So yes, I, I will shout out to Kristen is her name. So Kristen, if you're listening to this episode, thank you. That's one of the kindest things someone said to us here at B&Q, so we sincerely appreciate it. And to everyone who's given us positive feedback throughout the first season and in so far in season two, thank you. Like, like JP said, you're the reason that we're still doing this and didn't just stop after a lark. You know, you're the reason we still want to do this uh, because we do hear from you guys that you do like what we have to offer so thank you so much and with that said we're now going to offer you a load of (laughs) and here we go ed start us on the crap train okay i had a really tough time picking uh which of the two franchise which which of the two films i was going to start with because they're both terrible and at the end of it, I had to pick the one to start with that I knew was going to be bad first uh, before I got to the theater. It's based off one of the most iconic franchises in the world, whether you love it or hate it. 194 chapters of manga, 153 episodes of anime. I'm talking about the travesty that was the film Dragon Ball Evolution based off of Dragon Ball by Akira Toriyama. This one hurt. I believe what happened was the studio had the rights to the film and it was about to expire and so they rushed something out. This is god awful. I mean this is just terrible. This is a franchise that has been beloved by people for roughly 30 years at this point. Goku is synonymous with freaking Superman at this point from Japan. He's like Japanese Superman. I mean even though he's not actually Japanese but that's beside the point. The movie was I think 90 minutes of garbage. They 30 years and they mispronounce names, mispronounce planets. The they completely screw up 
character traits uh, or personalities. They make Goku, who in the start of Dragon Ball was like an eight or nine year old little boy, into a high school aged kid who is actually going to high school. Goku never saw the inside of a freaking school in his life. And then they tell this terrible, abbreviated, garbage movie story where they 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 take certain plot elements that were actually in the show and the manga but then they disregard everything else change complete backstories of heroes and then give us this terrible cgi these horrendously orchestrated fight scenes and it just the aesthetics and everything was all wrong there was no attention paid to detail there was no love or shown for the franchise as a whole this was a piece of trash that and i keep saying that it's an apt term it was a cash grab and that's all it was and i paid to go see it and i knew it was going to be bad since the film came out akira toriyama the creator of the show and the manga has said he tried to give the producers advice on what to do and they flat out ignored him and he has gone on record as saying if you like my franchise you probably should not see this film and he stepped away from movies for years but because of this and then he finally came back partly to do a good story again back in 2012 or 13 whenever dragon ball z battle of gods came out to try to tell a good, you know, cinematic story, and that actually spawned the show now, which is Dragon Ball Super, which is up to its 83rd episode as of the tonight. But in a weird way, because of this god-awful piece of Hollywood crap, I ended up with 83 more episodes of something that's pretty much good. Strangely enough, despite this film being an absolute travesty against the Dragon Ball franchise, it ended up causing some... It was it had a silver lining. It, it did, and that's part of the reason I went with this one first, but... But to anybody that's ever seen it, and I don't think Josh, have you seen it? You might be the only other one. Have you seen J- Have you seen it, JP? I am very familiar with the Dragon Ball franchise, but no, I have not seen the movie. Yeah, same here. I'm familiar with the franchise, but I avoided this film. I think Ed might be the only one of us brave enough to have seen it. Matt, did you see it? I got 15 minutes into it. I couldn't <laughs> do it anymore. <laughs> I, I paid I paid ticket price to sit through it, and I by God, I was going to finish it. Oh, I, I knew better than to actually pay to see it. <laughs> I, I I saw 15 minutes of it online. I was just like, no. and th- that's not even really talking about the fact. I mean, both no. both of these instances are prev- prevalent in the two movies I picked, but they kind of whitewashed the character completely. Uh, well, I mean, technically Goku was from space, but yeah, uh, that Justin Chadwick or whatever the hell his name was. Well, he's been in several other things since then. He was like this high school-aged white dude playing Goku who was living in Japan as a 9- or 10-year-old when the story started. They took everything. The original Dragon Ball was this great, at the start, great like road trip story where Goku meets Bulma and they're on the search for the seven Dragon Balls. And it's funny and it's it has its serious moments too, but it's mainly fun and enjoyable to watch. And, yes. and you get to care for the characters. And Dragon Ball it was way better written than Dragon Ball Z was because they actually told the story at that point, but that's beside the point. But they didn't do any of that in the film. They they gave us, like, cardboard cutouts of a few of the characters and then didn't even try with the rest. Yeah, um, you, you're talking about the attention to detail there. Was Krillin even in the movie? That's another thing. They completely omitted characters. Krillin, one of the most central characters Absolutely. to the entire story – 
is not even in the damn movie. <laughs> I, I think the part that actually annoyed me the most is that uh, Dragon Ball is the original Dragon Ball is somewhat, not completely, but somewhat based on characters from Journey to the uh, West. Journey to the West, which was you know 16th century, so and it was it was written in the Ming Dynasty in China, and they Monkey just. King. But yeah, yeah, it was it was based on that, and they just threw all that out. There was that the, they showed no respect for the original source material, and that and just no, that's yeah. something that pisses me off to no end. Again, it was just I, I think they had expiring rights to the movie, and they had to put something out, and then they didn't even do what the creator told them to do. I cannot state this enough to anybody listening that's not an anime fan. Whether you love it or hate it, Dragon Ball, and by extension Dragon Ball Z, changed the, the genre of anime forever. There are tropes that are now tropes because of Dragon Ball. And, and then just to give us this lukewarm, whitewashed piece of garbage film, and then put, put the Dragon Ball name on it, that's... That's insulting. Were they trying to do that old Hollywood mistake of thinking that the Dragon Ball franchise appeals to a niche audience and they were trying to create a story that would quote-unquote appeal to the mass market? Or was it just a case where they rushed the story and they just... Production was screwed from the beginning. I think it was more the latter than the former, but honestly, even if it was the former, I don't see anything in that movie that was appealing to anyone regardless of whether you were a fan or not of the series. Well, yeah, the reason I asked that question, I think this is a a problem that comes up a a lot with franchises that appeal to us nerds, is when Hollywood gets their hands on something that hasn't been made yet into a film, I'm thinking particularly of video game franchises, they try to change them to make them appeal to a wider audience, and inevitably, in so doing that, neither the wider audience nor the true fans like the final product. Skyrim, the musical. <laughs> no, you know what? No. If that was a musical, I would watch it. Yeah, so would I. <laughs> I. I might even pay ticket price for it. I think Deadpool worked because they didn't try to appeal to a mass audience. They made it for Deadpool fans. The mass audience came because Deadpool's awesome. I personally see the Deadpool film as Ryan Reynolds making a personal apology for X-Men Origins Wolverine to the fans of Deadpool. Which is an honorable mention for most for cinematic injustice against the X-Men franchise. You could argue that one or X-Men The Last Stand. Origins Wolverine was bad, okay? It was bad, but it's not Dragon Ball Evolution bad. I can watch Origins Wolverine. I cannot watch Dragon Ball Evolution again. Yeah, but they, they murdered one of my... They murdered the character of one of my favorite... One of my two favorite comic characters. Must be Gambit. <laughs> or are you still referencing Deadpool? Uh, yeah, I'm still going with that. Okay, well, they, they screwed up. Game- one we're going to be talking about. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought you were talking about Origins Wolverine still. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, keep circling back to it. And I think this is going to be the same with all of our, uh, you know, this tonight, is that they just did not pay any attention and gave no love for the source material mm-hmm. and gave us what they wanted to give or what they rushed to give or what they thought we wanted, and it didn't work. It didn't fire on half a cylinder, let alone all yeah. cylinders. So I think that's a great segue to Matt's first choice. You wouldn't tell me what it was, 
but you said it was the greatest disservice to a source material in the history of space and time. You all know me by now. You know I'm kind of the Marvel guy around here, and you're going to need to get your bleep button ready. Because oh, I'm course. talking about Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Prime Listener, the pump right wait, there. Wait, Matt, Matt, Matt. Before you, before you start, listening now and wait till you get home. Matt, before you start, let me just say one thing about that movie. I will freely admit that I did not have the history with the Fantastic Four that you have. I didn't hate the movie. I'm going to say that out first. I don't think it's a great movie. I don't even think it's a good movie. I didn't hate the movie. So, so let me give a little background real quick on the story because it's actually based on a, a three-issue arc from the Fantastic Four comics. It was uh, an arc called The Coming of Galactus, and it was issues 48, 49, and 50 of uh, Fantastic Four. And that w- that ran from March through May of 1966. And it saw the first appearance of both the Silver Surfer and Galactus, as well as introducing the concept of the power cosmic to the Marvel Universe. So two major, major characters and an important concept of the function of power were all introduced in this arc that they're trying to retell in the film. So what we have is a massive potential for the film to either be truly epic or epically bad, and there's no real middle ground here. Uh, Tim's story was the director. He chose door number two, and he chose poorly. <laughs> and now, Josh, get that bleeping finger ready. On the ready, sir. And I'm using my middle finger because that's appropriate. This film is a masterclass in f***ing <laughs> up. The acting is just downright bad. Just like everything else in Crabtastic 4-2, Electric Boogaloo. The highlight of the entire film is also the only semblance of actual actual acting in this 91-minute storm. Namely, Chris Evans's narcissistic near-nonstop douchebag quips, which invariably backfire on him immediately, while managing to be almost slightly amusing. Almost. <laughs> Keyword there. Almost. almost. Jessica, Alba, Jessica Alba played uh, Sue Storm. They took a... And Jessica Alba is a better actress than what she did in this movie. Phoning it in would be an undue compliment to her performance. They took a and they took a moderately intelligent character who, yes, she's not a super genius scientist like her husband Reed Richards or Ben Grimm, who's also an ultra super genius scientist astronaut, but this character had literally decades of strong writing, interesting stories, great personal development that they could have drawn from. And they replaced that character with acting that would have been cut from House Bunny for being too damn over the top in the vapid bits department and combined it with a single-minded fixation on producing Reed's children because apparently the people in charge of the script couldn't wrap their empty little heads around the idea of a major female character as anything more than a uterus with a pair of legs walking around. And frankly, on the topic, House Bunny was a better, funnier, and more thought-provoking piece of film than this heaping pile of flaming rolling down the street into a cluster of craptacularity. And that's before we get to you-know-who. <laughs> so now let's talk about Julian McMahon, who played Victor Von Doom. This son of a bitch is just painful to watch. He plays his role like a D-lister in his film debut, trying to, 
channel, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, after only seeing the first half of the movie, but he wasn't really paying attention because he was on Twitter the whole time. And yeah, I know, uh, I know Ruination of the Silver Surfer came out a year before Iron Man. That's not the point here. <laughs> the, the, the point here is that this man is meant to be the mad yet benevolent, but really only to his own subjects, dictator of a small nation, not just some cheap imitation of Tony Stark gone bad who keeps throwing out puns so bad and so unfunny, even Josh wouldn't use them. Now let's get Damn. to product placement. And, and this is all <laughs> I have to say on product placement. The Dodge Fantastic Car. <laughs> the ticket sale's not enough, you guys. Did you have to grab the cheap endorsements, too? Is that a Hemi? Did, did you just use Dodge's actual slogan in a feature film to do product placement f*** you Johnny Storm it's a flying car you stupid f***. of course it's a damn hit me I don't care what Reese said to placate your dumb ass Chris Evans I know you're capable of better well okay. he, he's given us better so it's it's okay right now well, oh I'm still going so let, let's get to the board being the source of the silver surface power now I, I would normally if this had been, like, a good film otherwise, I would have actually given it a pass as them taking creative license. I encourage creative license and reinterpretation of a beloved story. But all the other I had to put up with watching this movie just made that the icing on the cake. I, I just want to point out that in the comics, it's literally the other way around. The board does not power the Silver Surfer. The power cosmic was bestowed upon the Surfer himself, upon Norrin Rad, by Galactus, and the board is a physical manifestation using the power cosmic manifested by the surfer. Power cosmic. But Matt, then we wouldn't be able to use it as a cheap way to advance the plot. Drop the MacGuffin and step away slowly. What about when the surfer flies the board into the middle of Galactus and concentrates like super hard and it takes all the power from the board Galactus just like implodes. That was cool, right? Uh, no, wait, did did you, just, did you just mention that? Private. It sounds like Donkey Kong now. See, yeah, you better be doing push-ups until I get tired. Repeat after me, children. Galactus is not cloud. And if you're not too clear on this point, let me remind you. Galactus is not a cloud. Everyone who thought that was a good idea, along with their families, friends, colleagues, and just to be safe, their neighbors and their neighbors' neighbors all of them, Galactus is a f***ing demigod who survived the big crunch prior to our big bang, and then slept through the big bang, woke up hungry, and decided, I'm just gonna eat this planet. This crazy is literally the physical, metamorphosed embodiment of an entire cosmos and is the actual source of the power cosmic. Galactus is a humanoid capable of changing his size to the point where he can literally swallow a planet whole with his actual mouth on his actual head, which is part of that whole Devour of Worlds thing, which is, you know, not a cloud. The prosecution rests. So do you think he liked the movie? I'm gonna suck you so hard. <laughs> now... Can I ask one follow-up to the prosecution, Matt? One of the reasons we're going to evaluate, how we're going to evaluate injustice in this episode, is to what extent it takes something good and turns it into something oh-so-bad. Am I not wrong in saying that you use this same 
comic book arc, the comic book version in the best origin story episode as one of the best things Marvel's ever produced. Not only is that absolutely correct, I would also like to point out that when they announced... Now, the, the Fantastic Four 48 through 50, the the, or, the first appearances of the Silver Surfer, when, when the film was announced, they were already valuable. The value on them went up a little bit when the film was announced. When the film came up, when the film actually came out, it was so bad for the reputation of the Silver Surfer that the actual monetary value of the original comic books fell below what it was before the film was announced. It literally hurt the actual monetary value of the comic. It caused an a- it had an actual negative economic impact. Wow. That's just embarrassing. I'm trying to think in my head which one is a worse disservice. Destroying 30 years of heritage with a film that whitewashes everything or destroying 40 years of heritage, all the sins you just listed. And the thing is, we've got more films to come. We're just getting started, folks. Uh, JP, what is your first nominee for The Biggest Injustice? So uh, I I don't think there's going to be much to say about this one, thankfully. Um, (laughs) I I get a little excited. It's okay. People listen to us to hear your rants. Oh, that was that was a quality rant. That was a quality rant. That was Fahrenheit 451 levels of rant. So well done. I I wanted to say good job on that one, Josh. By the way, I listened to that episode just the other day. I guess you could say he got a little hot under the collar. Yes. Sorry, JP. You were saying. No worries. Um, one of my most beloved franchises growing up. It was actually, uh, strangely enough, when I was nine years old, it was the first Super Nintendo game I owned. Um, but uh, Mortal Kombat, actually. Yeah. Finish him. Oh, this movie definitely finished the Mortal Kombat movie franchise. <laughs> I'm going to have a thing or three to say about this as well. Wait, are you first, talking about off, the first Mortal Kombat or the second one? No, no. No, the first Mortal Kombat film is a great film. The second Mortal Kombat film, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, is pretty bad, though. Mm -hmm. So, to give some background, it takes place uh, pretty much immediately following the events of the first Mortal Kombat film. Um, Liu Kang has won the Mortal Kombat tournament and is uh, guaranteed that Earthrealm will be safe for another generation. However, Shao Kahn, Shang Tsung's master, has got other plans. He has decided that he's just going to go ahead and cheat and open up the portal and allow Outworld to invade Earthrealm and destroy Earth in six days, such as it was created. It features... A lot of admittedly very good choreographed fight scenes. I will give it that. I will also give it good quality special effects, considering that it came out in uh, 97 or 98. I cannot remember off the top of my head. Uh, however, the special effects were so far over the top, and they and a lot of the times they just outright, the projectile just outright missed the uh, people that they said it hit. And another thing that it got right was Scorpion getting the best of Sub-Zero. That's always going to happen. Oh, disagree. However, Shots fired. Shots fired. And, and another, another thing, uh, another hidden gem in there that I also liked was that Ed Boon did do the voice of Scorpion when he yelled, get over here. So that's a good tip of the hat right there. Nice. Beyond that, though, it just seemed like uh, trying to capitalize on the recent popularity of Mortal Kombat 4 coming out, 
They just threw in terrible cameo appearances from just about every character who's ever appeared in the game. And they he didn't even use most of the same actors from the first one because they just wouldn't yeah. come back and do it. Yeah, that that was one of the things that really pissed me off. I mean, you couldn't get the guy that played Johnny. K- I mean, like the only two that came back were Katana and like Liu Kang, right? Yes, but let's be fair about Johnny Cage. He wasn't alive long enough in the movie for it to matter. Well, I like Johnny Cage, but we know. all we all like Johnny Cage. Everyone tried to do the low blow thing all the time when we were kids. Yes, I don't know what you're but, talking about. <laughs> totally over here. I swear <laughs> the new players, Cassie Cage, is pretty freaking awesome in Mortal Kombat 10. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, but first, let me take a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> However, the the worst part of all was the horrendously animated CGI fight scene between Liu Kang and Shao Kahn when they both go into animality mode at the end. It looks like... <laughs> It looks like something something that I could have done better, even back then. Remind me, I know Liu Kang is a dragon. What is Shao Kahn's animality? He's a hydra. Oh, God. That was, that CG, man, was awful. Oh, my God. You know, I tried super hard my entire adult life not to remember that. By contrast, at this point... Toy Story had been out for two or three years. Let's just put that in perspective for a moment. CG yes. can be done well. The CG of Tron, the original Tron, was better than this. Let's not go quite that far. <laughs> We're not trying to turn away uh, on many more listeners than we already have by doing this episode in the first place. <laughs> the only- <laughs> The only final thing that I have to say about it is the writing was so bad. They completely telegraphed the big betrayal that was committed on Liu Kang from the beginning. From the moment that it was happening, they completely telegraphed that. It was of no surprise when it turned out that, you know, a friend was actually a foe. I'm not trying to do a spoiler-free review here. It was just... Oh, man. Trying to make references and get all the kids excited to see all their favorite characters from the games. I, I think it just fell flat in its face. So it's a case where they had tried to appeal to the fans too much, and it just failed. I, I would say that, yeah. The the, the waste of characters. I mean, wasn't like Cyrax in there and just not really used, and, and Jax was kind of lame. And uh, Oh, Jax know. was terrible. Um, Jax's character was terrible. It's great to have diversity represented in a movie, but they could not have made him more stereotypically African-American if they tried. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems like in, in the games, the characterization of Jax is as the super soldier, all business... Uh, he's, um, Sonya Blade's boss, I believe, or co boss or colleague, depending on the game. But he's, so when you think of Jax, yes, he's African American, but when I think of Jax, I think of cyborg arm, badass, military man, pulls no punches. That's his characterization. But in the film, in Annihilation, no. he is just a caricature of African-American stereotypes, almost no better than the Three Crows from Dumbo. Oh, <laughs> that's oh. harsh. <laughs> that, that, that is pretty harsh. Yeah, but I, I don't hear the sound of any of us disagreeing with that statement well, necessarily. No, no. no. 
not. <laughs> of all the people that wouldn't come back, I just David Carradine was so awesome as uh, uh, Raiden in the first film. I like that. Yes, because David Carradine, duh. They should have had Eddie Grant come on as Raiden, so then he could ha- be Raiden singing Electric Avenue. <laughs> yes, fantastic. Electric Avenue. All right. Or, or you know who would have still made a better Raiden than the Raiden in that movie? Anyone Jeff, else? Jeff Bridges. Oh, my God. As the dude... With a dude. <laughs> Raiden abides. That's our hashtag. Raiden abides. Oh, dude. I, I'm a, I wouldn't pay ticket price, but I might watch it. No, <laughs> Jesus. I would pay ticket price to see the dude is Raiden. I don't care. If he's Raiden. drinking a white Russian while throwing lightning, I will die. Raiden's personality in Annihilation was pretty close to the dude. I think what we should do now is make a Mortal Kombat clone game where every character is a different character played by Jeff Bridges. Ooh. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would buy that game. And I think Rooster Cogburn from True Grit versus The Dude would be the main event. Oh. Raiden Lebowski. That, that rug really tied the room together. Yes, except in Mortal Kombat, it's a rug made from the skin of Goro. Yes. Yeah. That lightning really tied the fight together. <laughs> Yeah, that film is horrible, JP. That That's a good choice. Mortal Kombat is such a beloved gaming franchise, and that film just... And honestly, I think Mortal Kombat has an underrated story. Like, in later games, they've really developed the story really well. Nine and ten are awesome. And yes. it's a shame that that film so destroyed the cinematic potential of the franchise that we're never going to see a feature film adaptation of the amazing story of Nine and Ten. Yeah. Well, in, in truth, the story was never really well known in the early days because of the arcade-style gameplay that was set up, even even on the, the home console versions of the game. You don't see much background at all unless you just sit there at the press start screen and then just wait for another you know, character bio to come up for a little bit. And you don't see any story information unless you beat the game on the highest difficulty level, which who could do that, by the way? It's like finding Reptile. It's almost impossible. Absolutely. Then also, uh, reading the instruction booklet? No. That's true. Who does that except for Ed Boon? Yes, it's true. Of course, that leaves us to uh, Noob Cybot. A cheap character. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of I, I just like bringing up characters. Noob Cybot because nobody likes to talk about him. Uh, that's because we all hate him. Uh, anyway. <laughs> the Wishbone Fatality wasn't bad. And, and, and then after, after Scott Tobias left, it was just Noob. Is that the origin of the word noob in referring to a gaming rookie? I don't know, but it should be because anybody that uses him is a noob. It's not, Matt? No. Uh, what it was is noob was used to be spelled N-E-W-B, and it was a shortened version of newbie. Newbie, yeah. See, that's the more you know, people. Do, 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 do. My earliest recollection of it comes from the old uh, StarCraft and WarCraft 2 uh, Battle.net days. You know, Battle.net's still alive and well. I'm sure it is. Probably on the original StarCraft and Warcraft 2. Yeah, Diablo 2 is alive and well, I'll tell you that much. So at this point, uh, what I'm going to say, a little bit surprising to you guys, but I'm going to decide this is such an awesome topic that it's going to be a two-parter. What? Oh, man. So at this point, we are cutting off part one. We've had three nominees so far. Uh, so we've had three nominees so far. We've had three nominees that have completely destroyed their franchises in, in various ways. Dragon Ball Evolution, Fantastic Four, The Ruination of the Silver <laughs> and Mortal Kombat Annihilation of Anything That's Good and Holy. Yes. 
And you might think, well, what more can be said? Oh, well, much. there's a lot more that can be said. We're nerds. There's always more that so, can be said. So come back next week, same bat time, same bat channel, <laughs> for the conclusion of Cinematic Injustices. Oh, <laughs>